Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. Republican lawmakers in Lansing have unveiled their plan to reopen school buildings this fall. The plan relies on $1.3 billion in federal funding. That money would be used for a one-time boost in per-pupil funding of $800 for each student and an extra $500 for teachers who have been working through the pandemic. This comes as Governor Gretchen Whitmer is preparing her own plan to reopen schools in the fall. All of this is happening as the state faces a very likely budget crisis, which could mean serious cuts in funding for public education. And as the number of COVID cases continues to drop in Michigan, school administrators need to get the ball rolling on figuring out a plan for next year, while keeping in mind that a second wave could still occur. Here to talk more about what is happening for students next fall in Michigan and about what's at stake for schools from a state budget perspective are two education policy experts. Elizabeth Moji, who is the dean of the School of Education at the University of Michigan. Elizabeth, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Yes. And also with us is Amber Ariano, who is the executive director of the Education Trust Midwest. Amber, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So, Amber, I'm going to start with you. Education Trust Midwest released its annual report on Michigan's public education system yesterday, and it calls for equitable cuts for schools uh, if cuts have to happen. In other words, well-funded suburban school districts should see bigger cuts than lower-funded districts and districts in low-income areas. Talk about why you think across-the-board cuts are a bad idea and what the likelihood is of us applying these cuts in an equitable instead of an equal way. Sure. So yeah, yesterday we released our um, our 2020 State of Michigan Education report, and really, um, it's really much focused on what is what is an equity uh, and investment agenda look like for around COVID nineteen in Michigan students' educational recovery. And we felt like at this moment in time and in our in our history in our country, um, that it's really critical that we're we're putting the needs of vulnerable kids uh, really at um, um, at the heart of of the educational recovery work and investments that that the state needs to make. Um, and I, I we say that because, as you know, Stephen, uh, Michigan is one of really the the most unfair states when it comes to school funding. We have one of the the top. Um, one of the worst um, states, the bottom 10 states in the country for the gap between how much we invest in affluent school districts and how much we invest in high poverty school districts, that that amounts to millions of dollars that high poverty and even working class and, and many rural communities don't have to support the learning of their of their students. So this is a time when they need those resources more than ever to support their kids, to make sure that they're not doing widespread teacher layoffs and, and school closings. There are um, districts around the state having to, to look at those options given how, how drastic the cuts um, may be. Um, I think it's, it's um, if the question is, what, what's the likelihood that there will be significant cuts? I think it's about 99%. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the likelihood that it, that it will be done in an equitable way? I mean, I think there's a really good chance of that. I think there's, um, there's real empathy and there's a real 
um, concern about um, how difficult this time has been for all school districts, but particularly for kids that um, that are that are have been really facing huge challenges and being able to, you know, just even get virtual access to learning in the last few months. Um, as you know, um, you know, the we also released yesterday data that showed that there are tens of thousands of students that have not even had um, device or internet access in recent months. So, um, you know, there's new research that's showing that kids of color and rural students in particular, um, there are projections that there is will be as much as a, as a year behind in learning. Um, and that doesn't mean that they can't catch up. And it certainly doesn't, it's, it, it's not, um, it's not about ability. Um, this is just about making sure that the kids are being supported um, and that we're, we're making sure that we're really investing in all students, but especially for students that really need um, support and their districts um, need support in terms of catching them up and, and accelerating them and making sure that their schools are well-staffed and well-supported going into this next school year. Uh, Elizabeth Moji, we've talked before <clears throat> about how poorly Michigan does at making sure that there is equitable funding instead of equal funding for for school districts. Uh, talk about what that means in the context of reopening schools and the budget shortfalls that we are expected to face here in Michigan. This seems an opportune time to continue to have that conversation and to push harder to make sure that, that we are not shorting kids in poor districts uh, in a way that, that is outsized uh, compared to their, their wealthier peers. Oh, you're absolutely right, Stephen, and, and I agree with everything Amber said. Uh, it's, it's absolutely a critical time to think about equity instead of equality in terms of school funding. I would just underscore that it's actually sort of tragic that it took a pandemic to get us to this place that we should have been thinking about, uh, Amber used the phrase, an equity and investment agenda well before COVID-19. And um, I can only hope that this actually does prompt us to move on on this. Um, we've seen some promising developments. We've seen, you know, community leaders coming together to support things like, um, you know, getting uh, technology tools in the hands of all children in Detroit Public Schools community district and ensuring that they have internet access. Again, I wish that that could have happened sooner. Um, I wish that we could all take a hard look at our state and, frankly, our nation and think about what it would really mean to provide equitable opportunities to learn for all children. And it does mean that we have to invest more in places that have not only not had an investment, but were actually, you know, there was a disinvestment in, in these, in many of these communities. So I'm hoping that we actually see this as an opportunity to fix the, the systems and structures. I think there are, you know, so many people talking about this in the state and, um, you know, I liked hearing Amber say that she thought there was a good chance. I am anxious, uh, as, as Amber said, 99% chance that there will be significant cuts. And, you know, we know when, when things are cut, um, you know, people are often less generous mm -hmm. with funding. So mm -hmm. I think we have to be 
uh, pretty clear-eyed about this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Amber, the report, uh, the Ed- Education Trust Midwest report, uses Ohio as an example of a state that has taken this approach. Tell us more about what is going on just over the border, uh, over the southern border here in, in Michigan. Yeah, it's it's a really it's really interesting to see how these cuts are playing out in Ohio. Um, Ohio has a, a, a relatively conservative Republican governor, Mike DeWin, um, and um, and yet he has been really kind of the leading voice uh, around um, social justice and uh, and applying a, a you know kind of a fair and equitable um, approach to the budget cuts. They have. Um, They've, they've been doing those cuts through a formula that's sensitive to student need. And it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's remarkable how much, um, how much that will, um, that is translating into dollars. So for example, in Cleveland, where a majority of students are from low-income families, um, Cleveland saw a budget cut of $109 per pupil compared to um, Salone, a wealthy suburb, which faced a $302 per pupil cut. And I, I say this, I mean, I, we think that, um, we think that this is a great, um, inspiration and, and a great model for Michigan. Um, not only because it's the right thing to do for, for kids. Um, but it's, it's also, you know, we hate to see Ohio beat Michigan in anything. Um, so, and as a, as a, uh, Michigan state and, and, uh, Michigan grad, I can say that, but I, I also want to say that as a mom, as a parent, you know, my daughter is, a um, it was just finished up second grade, um, in, uh, Berkeley public schools. And, um, and I don't want to see cuts to any, any school districts in the state, but, you know, I'm really conscious of the fact that, um, in my household, we have five devices. Um, you know, we when we had internet problems, we could afford to add another line and and you know, um, and and to support our internet access and the digital learning we were doing at home. Um, we are really p- privileged to be able to work at home um, and to take um, time off during the work week to support our daughters' learning. So um, there are thousands of students that have not have been in that situation and we we really need to to support them um at this time and so um so i i say that with both my mom hat um and my <laughs> and my um advocacy hat because i'm i'm just really you know i'm i'm so conscious right now of the privilege that the privileges that we have in our family um and i, I you know we want i want every every student in the state to have um, the kind of support that that she's had um, and that she'll continue to need, but we're, but that means we really we've got to do this um, in a really intentional and thoughtful way as we look at these cuts. Yeah, uh, my guests are Elizabeth Moji. She is the dean of the School of Education at the University of Michigan, and uh, Amber Ariano, who is the founding executive director of Education Trust Midwest. We're talking about the plans that we're starting to see uh, for reopening schools this fall here in Michigan. Not only is there a public health concern around those schools reopening because of the ongoing uh, COVID pandemic, but there are also new financial concerns that uh, schools will face because of the financial impact of that pandemic on state coffers. We are expecting incredible budget shortfalls uh, here in Michigan, as they are in many other states. The question is, how will those budget shortfalls affect schools? How will they affect schools in different parts of the state? Should they affect wealthier districts 
perhaps more than poorer districts as a way of sort of evening the playing field between uh, wealthy and poor districts here in the state, something we've been talking about for a long time and haven't done a whole lot about? Uh, or do you think that the cuts should be distributed evenly. Also, what do you make of the plans that we're starting to see? The Republicans uh, in the legislature have a plan out for reopening schools in the fall. Governor Whitmer is still working on hers. Uh, We want to hear from you about what you think about sending your children back to school in September. Do you trust public officials to reopen these schools safely? We especially want to hear from you if you're a student or a teacher or a parent. Tell us how comfortable you feel with school buildings reopening in the fall. you think that will be safe? Uh, do you like the idea of things like longer school days or shorter breaks to make up for lost instruction time? Uh, and how do you think we ought to deal with, uh, with these, these public health uh, issues that we are going to have to deal with for a really long time? I mean, this is not something that is going to just be visiting with us this fall or, or next winter. I think these are changes that we're going to have to get used to for some time into the future. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Again, call us and tell us what you are thinking about sending your kids off to school in the fall or going back to teach school in person in the fall. Uh, How safe do you feel? How well do you trust public officials in this state uh, to, to make sure that we're doing this in a, in a safe way. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work your comments into the conversation. Um, before we go to listeners, uh, I, I want to talk about this Republican plan for reopening schools. Elizabeth Moji, what is your reaction to what they say they want to do? Well, uh, you know, I think the whole plan to reopen schools is one that's challenging for all of us. Uh, we're we're going through the same thing at the university. So, as we look at um, different kinds of plans, thinking about public health first, thinking about safety first um, is absolutely critical, and you know, helping us think about how to um, uh, distribute children in spaces so that they're, um, you know, not coming into contact with one another, not coming into contact with teachers who are often the more uh, vulnerable uh, population in in this um, pandemic. Um, I think all of those are critical key um, dimensions of the plan. Um, The idea of, you know, staggering attendance is a challenging one. We're we're grappling with that as well at the university, um, and thinking about how we provide some remote and some in-person opportunities uh, is also really challenging. the The work that is going to fall on teachers is enormous. The the just the sheer management of all of the different modes of instruction and all of the different kinds of plans that will have to be made to navigate, you know, all the places that uh, learners will be, I think is really going to be challenging, while also trying to engage in instruction in a way that is meaningful um, when people have to be so, you know, spaced apart and, 
you know, wearing per- personal protective equipment. Um, those those kinds of um, additions to the classroom are going to make it very difficult to, um, you know, to really engage in robust and meaningful learning opportunities. So I want to just underscore how much work this will be for teachers and how worried I am about the teaching force and whether they're going to be able to um, manage all of the demands that are placed on them in any plan that is rolled out, whether it's the, you know, the Republican plan or the governor's plan or district level plans. Um, There's going to be a lot of support needed for teachers. Mm. Um, And again, this is in the face of potential budget cuts. But just thinking about you know, some of the issues around kids being at different places in terms of their learning um, and needing to make up past um, gaps in in learning. That's a particular kind of instruction that not all teachers have been equipped with, Um, the, the idea of differentiating for children's different needs, the idea of thinking about the kinds of trauma that children have experienced mm. in this pandemic and being ready to engage in that instruction. So regardless of the particulars of any plan, um, I think we really need to think about how to support our teachers to ensure that they have the, the different kinds of practices they need and um, the time they need to do the work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amber, in your report, uh, you call for longer school days and a longer school year to make up for the loss of classroom time this past year because of the pandemic. I don't see that in the Republican plan uh, for reopening schools. Uh, I wonder if Governor Whitmer might address that in hers. Uh, but talk about how that would work and whether your efforts to, to get lawmakers to pay attention to that issue are, are having any success. Yeah. So I I want to if I can just provide some context before I and to in order to answer that. I I want to say um one thing that we are we are um really advocating for Stephen is for for uh, you know across the board to minimize cuts to all schools. Um and of course um rural and high poverty working class schools the most. Um but you know, one of the things that we are really pushing for um, at the federal level right now is for Congress to pass the the most generous federal stimulus package there is, um, and that that's being discussed. Um, that in, it, that is really zeroed in on the the House's um, version of the Heroes Act, which we think should even actually be significantly more. That's being discussed right now: um, 175 billion dollars for K-12 education and 50 billion for higher education. Um, and in those packages, we're we're really um, advocating for dollars um, to be targeted for for things like voluntary summer school next summer and the following year, um, so that the districts have support and resources to to um, to pay educators well for for those for those who do want to want to work um, um, that there are resources for districts to help kids. Um, catch up, right? We're, we are expecting that there will be significant and growing achievement gaps. Um, and, and so we need to like really um, invest those dollars 
wisely and fairly and equitably. And, and when we say that, we mean not just the state dollars, but also the federal stimulus dollars that, that we're expecting, um, hopefully by, by July. Um, and so do I think that it might be possible to do, like in terms of longer school days this coming school year? I, I think Elizabeth's right. There's so much that's unknown right now. I think it's it's just a moment for great empathy for everyone. I think districts, policymakers, parents, teachers, it's going to be really, really challenging. Um, I, it, I don't think it's going to get a whole lot easier in September than it already has been. So, um, so you know, we want to we want to invest as much as we can um, and minimize cuts as much as we can because imagine uh, being a teacher in a district that that has to shut down five schools, lay off 20% of the teaching force, may have huge increases in, in class size, um, and is juggling, as, as Elizabeth said, three different modes of instruction, right? Um, and may may not even had any support or training in, in virtual instruction before. So just a hugely challenging time for, for everybody. Um, and we want to make sure that we're, we're, we're really trying to set districts up for, for success as much as we can um, with the most support from, from the federal government as we can and to minimize cuts for, for all districts. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about fall school reopening with Elizabeth Moji and Amber Ariano. We will also get to your calls and comments, Teresa Ann Arbor. Francis in Detroit. We'll hear from you. We'll also read some Twitter comments that we've got. If you want to join listeners on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. Call and tell us what you're expecting for schools to reopen in the fall. Do you feel safe sending your kids back or if you're a teacher going back into the classroom? Stay with us for more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests this hour are Elizabeth Moji, who is the Dean of the School of Education at the University of Michigan, and Amber Ariano, who is the Founding Executive Director of the Education Trust Midwest. We're talking about the idea of schools reopening this fall, just a few months away. We will all be thinking about how to send our kids back to school after it was so suddenly interrupted during the COVID pandemic in the last school year. What are our expectations about that reopening? How do we want to make sure we feel safe to send our kids back to school? Uh, Also, if you're a teacher or a parent, uh, tell us uh, about your own safety with regard to school. If you're a teacher, how will you feel safe to go back to the classroom in the fall? Uh, we want to hear from you about that. Uh, always the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. And you can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, uh, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, let's start with Francis in Detroit today. Francis, welcome to the show. Good morning, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Sure. And thank you for the moderators. Um, so I'm Francis. I work in CPS. I'm honored to be a master teacher there. Mm. 
so I get to work with some incredible educators and leaders in Detroit. Um, my general consensus from the entire distance learning process and, you know, through Dr. Vitti's constant one o'clock in the morning emails uh, that he sends us is that our, our profession is harrowing because we don't have the healthcare resources in our schools. We don't have the mental health care resources in our schools. We have one counselor per 300 pupils, um, and not to mention no nurse in sight. So when you ask teachers and leaders to put on a strong face for the possibility of hybrid learning, you're really asking us to put ourselves into a traumatic situation. So uh, I think we're ill-equipped to talk about hybrid learning when there's such a deficit in healthcare in our schools. Mm -hmm. I also think that, you know, if we spend $2 billion just in Detroit on law enforcement, but we can't seem to fund our schools with uh, adequate counselors and healthcare workers, um, you're really doing a disservice to the wonderful, hardworking educators in mm. DPS. So that was my bit. So, so Francis, I wonder if if you're starting to think about what would make you feel better in the fall about going back to classroom instruction, given the public health concerns. I mean, I you're talking about a lot of other things that are really important and critical. Uh, to, to fixing schools in Detroit and other places. But I'm really curious what, what your expectations look like for your school and your classroom when you go back in September. I think it's funny you should ask because we always have to manage our expectation with the reality of the fact sure. that class sizes are rarely kept um, at a cap. Um, we are also working with a teacher deficit. Um, as much as we like to be better equipped with PPE and a six-foot radius around our desks, the reality is we don't have enough teachers to, to handle the population that we have here. Hmm. So we have to manage our expectation with the fact that we can't, we can't um, account for the need in, in Detroit. Um, and that's, that speaks to... I mean, generations of neglect sure. in this city. Um, but I do think that teachers are, are training themselves. There's been plenty of training programs out there to prepare for remote learning. We've learned an incredible amount during this process. Um, so we're going to continue training and preparing as much as possible for the distance, the, the synchronistic part of the education world. Um, but... I think teachers and leaders are preparing themselves for the reality of the fact that we're going to be put on the front line. Mm. And it's, it's a harrowing feat because, again, we're not doctors yeah. in that respect. We're not healthcare workers. Yeah. Um, and while we deal with trauma face-to-face, um, while we were in the classroom and we are equipped to handle it in the real time, we still cannot handle the fact that a lot of these children have lost generations of their family yes you know yes. We're, we're not professionals in in those respects we need to be more equipped with that so yeah francis i really appreciate the the call and and you're sharing your perspective and your experiences 
uh, Dean Moji uh, react to what, what she's saying there in terms of these concerns and how profound they are here in the city of Detroit? Well, Francis is absolutely right. Uh, it, it, this, I, you know, Francis, you used the word harrowing several times, and I couldn't agree more. This is a really difficult time for everyone. And then to think about going back into a space without the necessary, uh, you know, equipment um, in a in a space that doesn't really support the kind of distancing that we've we've heard is necessary to protect ourselves, and then to not have, as you said, to not have nurses, to not have counselors. And this is um, this is a challenge that many public school districts have faced over the last, you know, ten even twenty years. We've seen the drop off in all kinds of specialists, all kinds of healthcare specialists, all kinds of instructional specialists who can, you know, push into classrooms and support the the general ed teacher in doing the best job of of differentiating. And then on top of that, talking about a kind of hybrid teaching. And I I, uh, think what Francis said is so true that there's been a lot of um, training provided for remote teaching. But what we're looking at, and this is true for us at the university level too, is a very different kind of teaching now because we're not talking about only remote or only in-person but a combination of those and each of those individually. And this is all in the face of these harrowing experiences that really require some attention to healthcare needs. So, you know, in the different plans that we're seeing, what are the provisions for health monitors mm-hmm. who are actually trained as children walk into the building to ensure that children are in the very best health possible. We know that this virus is is sneaky, and so we can't always see it. We can't always be sure. But, but are there going to be resources supplied to provide health monitors? Are there going to be resources to reinstate nurses in schools in Detroit and in other school districts? Will we have counselors? Um, I mentioned trauma-informed practice before, mm-hmm. but that can't be only on the on the uh, at the responsibility or uh, laid at the teacher's door because teachers are meant to be teaching and as i said the the practice of teaching is going to be that much more difficult so we need all of these support systems in place and what are the provisions for that in the various plans we don't know yet um you know we saw the as you said the republican plan and there are you know increases in funding are those meant to cover all of the different things that are going to be needed to make this work happen? Mm. Uh, Amber, your, your report, I think, is fairly characterized as not focusing so much on now and the urgency of now given COVID, but to try to put it in a larger context and to say that we have a lot of problems that we had before we're going to have a lot of problems in the future, and we need to, to, to be making changes that will address those things. I think a lot of what Francis was talking about in her call 
really echoes that same sentiment. That's right. Um, we're saying, look, this for for children of color, for rural students, for um, immigrant students, English language learners, children with disabilities. Um, Michigan has really been failing um, these kids, vulnerable kids, for years. I mean, well over twenty years. I mean, we've we've disinvested from public education. We're one of the the, the least fair states for how we invest. Um, in kids of color, we're seeing, you know, um, protest rightfully. We're seeing um, protesters rightfully um, in the streets saying, like, enough is enough. This is a moment for addressing historic, systemic, um, you know, often racist um, structures and policies and the way that we do lots of things in our country. But, but I mean, I think public education is. It should be an engine for opportunity. It needs to be for for not just for kids, but for for our democracy. It needs to be for um, for the future of our state to to be um, you know uh, viable as a um, in the global economy. Um, and we we set kids up. Um, we, we you know kids come into school into public education um, often with gaps and. Um, in places like Michigan, we exacerbate those gaps in how we how we fund, how we invest, how we support, um, you know, by te- paying teachers significantly less in high poverty school districts and rural districts than compared to our wealthiest school districts. Um, I know, you know, 20 years ago when I was coming out of um, teaching school, um, I mean, and I started my career as a high school teacher. I mean, the the amount of money that I could make in Birmingham compared to, to Flint was, was significant. Mm. Um, and that's true now that's it. That hasn't changed. Um, we're, we're one of the bottom States in the country for African-American achievement. It's not because, because black or Brown kids in Michigan aren't just as talented as black and Brown kids in the rest of the country. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet when we look at the national data by fourth grade, African-American students in Detroit are almost three years behind in instruction um, and learning compared to the African-American students in Boston. So, you know, there's not, Michigan kids are not, and and the truth is that that white kids in Michigan are behind white kids in other states too. So, you know, kids in Michigan are not somehow innately inferior compared to American kids in other states. It's, it's how we're teaching them. It's how we're supporting them. It's how we're investing in public education. And if this isn't a moment to address these gaps and how we invest in kids and, and showing not just, you know, with rhetoric, but, but with acting, um, with leadership and showing kids of color, showing rural kids, so showing kids in poor areas in our state that they mean as much to, to us as the kids in wealthy districts do. This is the moment. This is a moment for leadership. Um, and that's not that's not a partisan issue. I mean, um, you know, we've heard we've heard from Republicans just in the last 24 hours um, that that they've 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 been hearing about a report or they've read the report and they've said, like, we're very interested in this. You're right. We we have to deal with some of these gaps. So this is not a partisan issue. 
Um, this is about who we are as a people. It's about who we are as Americans. And it's it's time that this changes. And, and, and I think that COVID-19, as Elizabeth said, is just making the gaps that much more obvious, right? It's in our face. And good for the good for protesters for being out there daily all over the country saying, we are not going to keep just keep standing for this. This is enough. This has been going on for decades. But it has to translate into real action. This is the time to translate into real action. It needs to translate into how we're acting now for kids now, including in, in our budget decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, again, Francis, really appreciate the call and uh, and the comments there. We've got a couple of Twitter comments I want to work in here. A listener says, it's not about this short-term approach to reopen schools, although there is importance in that. Young people have not learned about apartheid. Elders never learned about Black Wall Street massacres. Uh, the issue is transforming education sustainably and long-term. Uh, Marianne on Twitter says, my children have attended schools in three different states. Michigan is the only state where we insisted they attend private schools to keep them intellectually challenged and safe. She says they all skipped grades and graduated young and were National Merit Commended uh, students. But let's go to Teresa in Ann Arbor. Teresa, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Um, this has been a really important discussion. I'm really excited to hear it. Um, Francis was very compelling. I was just blown away by the things that she was saying. Um, I'm in Ann Arbor. My husband and I are very middle class people. We both work. We're both going to really struggle this fall. Um, however, this hands out. Um, we're in a very well-funded district, obviously. Um, it's concerning to me to hear that other districts are not going to have nurses. I'm not sure what we're going to have in Ann Arbor Public Schools in terms of, you know, those kinds of things to, to keep, you know, temperature checks in balance. I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure. My biggest concern is the safety of our teachers. Um, the safety of our principal, our staff, mm -hmm. um, who, as Francis mentioned, are all in the front lines. Um, I do have concerns about kids catching up, but, um, you know, a couple months ago I read a report after Katrina happened that those kids, they were resilient, they bounced back, They're, they went to college. I mean, I know, of course, there's going to be issues with gaps in certain areas. But um, as a parent, do I feel comfortable sending my son back to school? I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. things can happen. It's, it's uh, you know, not even July yet. Who knows what it's going to look like in September? Um, I do think that we need to put the focus on a safe environment for our teacher. Absolutely. That's mm -hmm. going to be number one. Um, I want to make sure that we do manage our expectations the teachers that um, you know we have in place, they're incredible. They do their very best. I just I don't understand why there's this expectation that they're going to have to be in charge of keeping our kids socially distanced. Um, yeah. You know, they they can only do their best. Yeah. And I have a very active son. I know you know last year his teachers you know they all had issues with the kids just in, under normal circumstances. Um, you're going to have kids coming back to school that are very concerned about COVID, yeah. and they should be. So 
Um, as a parent, I am concerned, but my biggest concern really is, is for the safety of the staff and the teachers and yeah. our principal who are absolutely going to be in the front line. Yeah, Teresa, I really appreciate uh, the call and, and that perspective. I think there's a lot of parents in that same boat where you're looking at the date and you're looking ahead to September and you're thinking, well, how will we know what is going on in the world even at that point? And how will we be able to tell ourselves that uh, that that things are, are being handled in a way that will keep our our kids safe, but 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 also uh, the staff, uh, Amber Ariano, uh, react to what uh, Teresa is saying there. Yeah, I mean, as a as a mom and as a former teacher, I I you know I empathize and I, I agree. I mean, I think the safety is key. Um, I I I mean, I really do have a lot of confidence in um, in state leaders and district leaders trying to make really tough calls through this process. I think safety will be um, will be an utmost concern. I think there's also going to need to be. Um, flexibility um, for for locals to to make calls on things that that um, because the you know as we've seen in recent months um, the spikes in COVID can range greatly um, by region even within one state um, and so you know there might be um, huge differences right and and um, how um, a reemergence or, or um, um, rises in, in COVID-19 occur in, in the coming months. We should expect that. That's how it's already played out. Um, and so I won't be surprised if, if um, the state defers to districts and in, in trying to make these local calls. I, I want to say that, though, in saying it, we, need, we need both a focus on safety and a focus on um, teaching our kids. Mm. And just to give you an example, on Monday, the Tennessee... Board of Education approved an emergency ruling um, requiring all uh, district leaders and charter school leaders to submit a plan that they will be held accountable for um, to ensure that kids are are getting at least six and a half hours of quality instruction, um, six and a half hours every day. Um, they have a minimum of a, the amount of quality instruction of hours a day and the and a minimum of quality instruction hours for the school year. Mm. Um, and so they're not saying to locals like we're not we're just, you know, just worry about safety and don't worry about the learning. Um, they're not saying that at all. They're saying we have to have both. We have to have a focus on safety and a focus on quality instruction. It's not fair to kids to let, and, and given the gaps that we're seeing, the wide disparities in learning that we're seeing, it's not fair to the kids and their future if we don't put that focus on quality instruction too. Whether that's in person or that's virtual, like we, we'll let's figure that out. Let like locals, we understand that you need you need to figure that out given your particular context. But we are going to hold you accountable for making sure that you do that. Mm -hmm. And we are going to we're expecting a plan for that by the end of July. And and we're going to be um, on this right on you and on this to make sure that you're you're living up to that um, to that expectation. North Carolina and Kansas have also set out very clear expectations. Um, or for the new school year. Um, and so we have to do both. This isn't just about now. It, this is about, you know, the, the latest research in the, over the la last month, the national research is saying that if, if we don't get on top of this um, in our states and in our country, we're talking about 
gaps of learning that may never be closed. Right, right. Kids will that be... kids that will have skill gaps, right? That they're that literally that they may be more likely to drop out of high school because they're going to get so far behind. The, we know that over time, the cumulative effect can be lifetime skill gaps, right? Differences in how much kids earn mm-hmm. um, for in, in terms of their livelihoods for the rest of their life. So again, this is this is about our kids. And again, my daughter, my daughter is going into third grade in a Michigan public school. It's, it's about, it's about our kids, but it's also about our future and our, and the future of our country and the future of our state. So, um, we can't, we, we can't, um, lose the, lose sight of the importance of the learning for the safety. We have to do both. And it's going to be really hard for, for everybody. And I'm not yeah. minimizing that. I mean, it, it's already been really hard as a parent. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's, you know, we got to do it. Yeah. Uh, we need to take another quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Amber Ariano and Elizabeth Moji. We'll get to more of your calls and comments as well. Uh, stay with us on Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. My guests are Elizabeth Moji, the Dean of the School of Education at the University of Michigan, and Amber Ariano, Founding Executive Director of the Education Trust Midwest. We're talking about schools reopening in the fall and all of the things we need to be thinking about and doing to prepare for that reopening. Uh, Let's go to Kate in Detroit. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. Good morning. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Um, I actually also um, am a teacher in Detroit, and I just wanted to speak up and say, like, how wonderful I think it is to hear this conversation happening and also to hear the perspectives of other educators throughout the city. Mm. I think as educators, oftentimes we feel like we're working in isolation, um, no pun intended, and, and I think that this is really a time for us to come together. Um, this has been an interesting time for me. I have a background in microbiology mm. and worked in anti-infective disease research at Wayne State, so... This is a really challenging time for me as a teacher when I hear that we're going to be sending, you know, our kids and educators back into the classroom as I just don't know that there's a way to do that safely. Doctors, nurses get years and years of training. Um, Even people who work in labs get years and years of training in sterile technique and in how to mitigate disease spread. And that is not something that, you know, most teachers have. And my concerns are just so great that we put our students who many of whom, as you've said on the program are already behind at physical risk. Um, And I acknowledge the gaps in education that are going to happen as a result of this, but maybe it's just a really wonderful time for us to innovate in the world of distance learning. Um, We know that kids are using devices, you know, predominantly for communicating socially for what they're learning in the world. And I just, maybe it's really a time for us to innovate that rather than, acknowledging, yes, we're going to have rolling closures, you know, and putting our kids and our teachers in the line of fire. When we acknowledge rolling closures for schools, that those are going to happen as a part of our plan, we're saying we know teachers are going to get sick and we know community members are going to get sick. And when we can't find subs to begin with, when we have teacher shortages, I just, is that really the best learning environment for Children. Right. And I, I, think, I, I think that's a great, th- those are great questions, Kate. Um, uh, Elizabeth Moji, 
you were, of course, part of the team that put together the plan to reopen the university uh, in, in, in Ann Arbor. Uh, you had to face these same kind of questions about about the the wisdom, I guess, of of trying to go back to things somewhat the way they were versus leaning into the idea that maybe that's not possible or the best outcome for students. Talk about that in both in the K twelve, I guess, and the and the higher ed context. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Kate, I, I really hear what you're saying about the challenges of, of doing this safely. We've worked, you know, very closely with our School of Public Health uh, experts and um, with others in the state as we thought about the university returning um, to, you know, some form of in-person instruction uh, and most likely, um, it, you know, most classes will be hybrid um, because we'll need to alternate attendance so that we uh, can reduce the number of people in the room to help with that physical distancing. I like to call it physical distancing and not social distancing. Um, and and it really goes back to what Amber was saying about instruction, that, you know, in the end, we looked really carefully at um, a variety of different options, and we looked at the option to be fully remote. And we believe that we're better together as long as we can work diligently to keep people safe. And that will require some, some different kinds of um, instructional arrangements uh, to do that. It will limit some of what we typically can do in person. But we think that there are certain things that are lost in a remote-only environment. That doesn't mean that you can't have excellent remote instruction. Um, We did uh, amazing things in the winter semester when we had to close down. And we are continuing to do amazing things this summer. We have, um, you know, several cohorts of uh, students, Mm -hmm. uh, students who are learning to teach. They're preparing to be teachers who are really learning some new things, some innovations, as you said, Kate, um, around distanced uh, instruction. So it can be high quality, Mm. but there's something that's lost when we're not in person. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth Moji, Dean of the School of Education at University of Michigan. Always great to catch up with you and have you here for these conversations. Thank you very much for joining us. Also, Amber Ariano, Executive Director of the Education Trust Midwest. Also, always great to have you with us. Thank you as well. Thank you both. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow for a check-in with Governor Gretchen Whitmer, plus a conversation with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.